you've heard it said, it doesn't have to be fun to be fun. With that in mind, join us for an insider's glimpse into all things trekking, safaris, and world adventure. From packing for your Everest base camp trek, to what it felt like for a cancer patient to attempt to summit Kilimanjaro, or visiting a village in the sacred valley of Peru, you will be inspired, informed, and ignited to get out there and start adventuring. Welcome, 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 everybody, to the Type 2 Fun Podcast. My name is Mariah, and today we are going to be stepping aside a little bit from uh, trekking stories and adventure stories and getting behind the scenes of one of our favorite areas, Mount Kilimanjaro in the Tanzania area, and discussing Kilimanjaro Porter's Assistant Project. So what is that, you might ask? Well, first of all, welcome Karen and Kelvin with me to the show. Hi, everybody. Hi there. So Karen is the director of the Kilimanjaro Porter's Assistance uh, Project, and I'm just going to have her start off. And I mean, Karen, tell us a little bit about you and um, just your background, where you live, and um, a little personal history about you, and then Kelvin, the same, please. Okay, great. Thanks, Mariah. Yes, my name is Karen Valenti. Um, my story is I've always wanted to go to Africa ever since I was a teenager. And I served in the Peace Corps, but it wasn't in Africa. But in 2001, I got my master's in nonprofit management. Um, and I decided to take the opportunity to volunteer um, in Africa at that point to use my new degree and get some practical experience. So I was actually um, served in Moshi, Tanzania with an organization called Visions in Action uh, for one year in 2002 to 2003. And while there, um, yeah, got to know a bit of Tanzania and Moshi area. And I was approached later through Peace Corps and Visions in Action for a position that was opening up with the Kilimanjaro Porter's Assistance Project. And I applied for it and was accepted. And I've been serving with KPAP since 2004. So I'm originally from the United States. And my dream has always been to live in Africa. So it's coming up on 17 years that I've been serving with KPAP. And that is my story. I never would have thought that I'd get to live in Africa for so long and, and work in a tourism industry, helping to advocate for proper working conditions for porters. So that's my story. Wow. You are literally living your dream. That's well, amazing. <laughs> it's a bit different and I never would have expected it, especially since the national language of Tanzania is Swahili and I thought it was English and I'm not so great with languages, but I... Um, I'm fair in Swahili, so that's another interesting side note to that, too. Yeah, but thanks. <laughs> and Kelvin, why don't you uh, introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you? Well, thank you very much, Mariah. Uh, it's my pleasure to be a part of this call today. Well, as introduced, I'm Kelvin Sala, uh, Tanzanian, born and raised. Um, I, I mean, in the past, I've worked with uh, many companies. Uh, ranking from uh, renewable energy, uh, worked in some research companies, but uh, between between the year 2012 and 2014, I started working in the in tourism industry. 
So back then, uh, I, I was the first, very first uh, welfare officer, uh, portal welfare officer. Uh, and that's when I got introduced to the Kilimanjaro Port as Assistant Project. So basically, being a portal welfare officer, uh, my role were to make sure that what companies agreed to uh, as in standards for uh, following KPUB, how is to make sure that it happens in the porter's uh, site. So think about things like recruit, recruiting them, uh, things about uh, organizing classes for them, uh, making sure they're all paid on time, making sure that uh, I go to gates uh, and, I mean, at the gates, my role was more of uh, introducing the crew to the company, I mean, to, to the climbers, but also introduce um, the climbers to the, to the, to the uh, porters themselves. Uh, I was also involved in uh, checking the bag weights at the gates uh, to make sure that everyone gets the right amount of weight. Uh, and then, uh, as you know, as they go on the mountain, then when they come back, they expect to be paid. So that, that was basically my, my role. Um, apart from that, um, there was a lot of operational uh, things that uh, when you think of Mount Kilimanjaro, it's involved in it. So I, I took part in that. Um, and then, as I said earlier, so I stepped out a bit uh, into the renewable energy. And then uh, two years back, I got an opportunity to join CAPA, the Kilimanjaro Port as a Simpson project. So since then, I came back into the managerial role. Um, I've been working as an assistant uh, project manager, but currently I am the uh, Kilimanjaro Portal System Project Program Manager. Yeah, back to you. Wow, those are really important roles that you've you've carried in your community. I love it. Thank you. Um, thank you for coming today. So everyone is probably asking themselves, then what is the Kilimanjaro Porter's Assistance Project? So um, Karen, why don't you tell us what is it and how it got started? Yeah, thank you. So KPAP, we call Kilimanjaro Porter's Assistance Project KPAP for short, so that's how we'll be referring to us. Um, it's an initiative of the International Mountain Explorers Connection, which is a U.S. 501c3 nonprofit organization based out of Boulder, Colorado. And so IMEC first has its start in Nepal back in 1996. And as Kilimanjaro was becoming more popular, in 2002, they actually sent people over there to research to see if their programs for porters that they had initiated in Nepal would also be of benefit at Kilimanjaro. So they had gone over in August of 2002 and done research. And actually what happened uh, in September of 2002, there was a late season storm, a really big, big storm that hit Kilimanjaro and actually three porters died during that storm. And it was because of exposure and not having the proper equipment. So as a result, this solidified, confirmed the research that the IMEC had been doing, the International Mountain Explorers Connection, um, confirmed that they should be starting a program for porters in the Kilimanjaro region. And as a result, KPAP was founded in January of 2003. So that's how we got our start. Again, I did not start the project. I've been with the project for a long time, and people think that I started the project. Actually, it was Donovan Petchall, who um, you're acquainted with, with Embark. He was the first program manager way back in January of 2003. So that's how KPAP got its start. I love it. It's forged from, obviously, 
uh, a real a real need for for the porters in the area. So why don't you expand on that to the deeper reasoning behind the need for the project and its you know its continued um, growth. Okay, great. So uh, one of our big programs for porters is a clothing lending program. We get free clothing that is donated either by climbers themselves or by organizations. Um, For example, ski resorts, when they're finished with their uniforms and they no longer want them in the area on the mountain, um, we're a recipient of the ski kit, which is just perfect with the waterproof snow pants and and snow jackets and fleeces. So we have a free clothing lending program in which any of the mountain crew are able to borrow the gear. And so this was a big part of the start. And as I mentioned, with that late season storm having such an effect um, and with people actually dying from it, this is a this is a way for people to borrow gear at no cost. They do have to return the gear. They have to leave us something of value as a deposit, such as a phone. We like their phone because they want to get their phones back or a bicycle or something of value. So the clothing lending program was one of the first programs. Also, educational classes for the porters. Um, We have done classes in conversational English, first aid certification, HIV AIDS awareness, porters rights, and environmental care through the leave no trace approach. And because of the global pandemic, which began over a year ago, we've expanded our educational efforts to include budgeting and money management, alternative income generating projects, and best farming practices, all with the aims of helping the mountain crews survive this pandemic and have some sustainable type of work outside of tourism. And another big reason for the project is what is called the Partner for Responsible Travel Program. This is an initiative of the International Mountain Explorers Connection, and it wants to highlight those tour companies that have proper practices, that have take good care of their crew. And what we were finding is when we were doing research, uh, we meet regularly directly with porters. We do surveys. We've been doing this since 2006. We were finding Finding that the information that they were providing and the surveys that they were completing, the answers were very different compared to what the company's policies may may uh, represent. So, for example, we were finding that salary amounts were variable in the, in the wage amount that they were being paid, and it couldn't be it might not be the minimum wage. There's issues with tipping. Um, Porters may not be receiving the full amount of tip that's intended for them. We were also finding that their weights of their bags were over the 20 kilogram weight limitation. Porters were often receiving just one meal a day, so they weren't getting the proper nourishment to do these heavy climbs. Also, porters were reporting that they were crowded in tents, that they had to sleep in the mess tent. And when porters have to sleep in the mess tent, that means that they cannot be in the tent when the climbers are eating their meals or playing cards after the day's trek. And so the porters often have to wait outside of the tent until the tent 
is available. Also, the next morning, they have to get up early because the the mess tent, which is the eating tent for the climbers, it has to be available and prepared for the climbers. So having quarters sleep in the mess tent is an issue as well. And then also, you know, I'm sorry to say this, but the payment of bribes is commonplace in Africa. And so a lot of the porters actually have to pay some type of bribe for someone to hire them, for the guide or the cook to hire them to go on to the work. And so we were finding all of these different issues related to their working conditions, um, which prompted us to go on and really develop the Partner for Responsible Travel Program. And uh, that's a part, a big part of what we're doing today is really helping to improve the working conditions. And we'll explain more about that as I'm sure we talk more during this uh, interview. It's, um, it's sad, obviously, to hear that, you know, something like this is even needed from the getting people to be honest and, and, and forthcoming part. I, I think, um, the education piece will always be necessary and that's lovely, you know, just knowledge is power. And the more you can spread that throughout any community, it's good. But, um, how have you seen those challenges, um, change? Have they changed, you know, uh, the impact, I guess, basically that you guys are having in the 17 years you've been a part of it? um, You know, how have these challenges that you're still facing changed? Yeah. Well, I think um, during the pandemic, of course, tourism has pretty much halted. And if we look at the past year, um, since uh, April, let's say of 2020 until now, the number of climbs related to our partner companies is about 11% of what is the norm compared to that time frame the year beforehand. So KPEP has been busy during this time. As I mentioned, we're doing different educational classes and so forth, but we've also taken advantage of this time to do focus groups with the porters as well, to hear from them directly, to actually have discussions with them rather than just survey completion and quick, you know, quick conversations with them. Um, Kelvin has conducted several uh, focus groups over these months during the pandemic. So Calvin, would you mind sharing what are some of the challenges that they're still facing today? And then I can comment a little bit more about what are the changes that we're noticing. So Calvin, can I ask you to do that, please? Sure, yeah, I'm happy, more than happy to share that, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, as Karen mentioned, uh, still there are some challenges that were there by the time the K-pop was started. So um, again, just like any other work environment, there are challenges um, when it comes to uh, people's welfare, employees' welfare. So, I mean, among the very uh, big things that were mentioned during this focus group discussion with porters, and just to uh, to give you more information about this, so we, we did these groups um, in different places. Uh, we did out in areas which are really near to the gates, but also we need uh, we did. This group, focus group uh, in town where most of the porters also live. Uh, this is between like Arush and Moshi. Um, and so, so the findings were not surprising, but these are the findings that we got from, from, uh, from this focus group. Still, people, people are complaining about uh, the salaries, uh, issues about minimum wage. People are paid below the minimum wage. Um, some also went far saying like the salaries are paid really late. So people expect to be paid as soon as they come back from uh, from the client, but some companies still do uh, delay payments. 
Um, you know, like if you work in an environment, you will, you will prefer to be paid in a really good place. But some of these porters have mentioned that they do receive their payments in bars. So, you know, like when you receive a payment in bar, you're exposed to uh, spending it in not in a proper way. So it, it's, it's the big challenge to, to most of them compared to other companies that are doing this in, 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 a, in a formal institution like banks or doing a mobile money transfers. Um, it, it's still a big issue, as in Karen has mentioned earlier, COVID has affected a lot uh, the industry. So looking back to uh, what Porters has said on this one, they, they are, they're really worried about the whole thing, as in how is COVID going to impact uh, when it comes to the clients that are coming soon? Is it going to is it going to have an effect on their salaries? Are the salaries going to go down? Are companies going to uh, look into this and maybe consider paying more as they have not worked for some time? So not not only salaries, but there's also issues with uh, tipping. It's still not fairly distributed among uh, some companies. So the the entire process of giving out the tip it's still not as uh, most of them would expect. Uh, you you also notice that some companies do combine tip and salaries. So by by combining them, it's hard for them to know exactly what is the salary amount on this, and as well as what is the tip distribution on that particular uh, amount given. And sadly, still, it's uh, I mean, with some companies are not doing it fairly, as I said. Uh, so some guides may uh, collect this, the tip from climbers for the porters and who knows what happens in between because the porters are not aware of what the actual amount that was given uh, from the climbers. Um, yes, issues like issues like uh, bag weights is still an issue uh, that they had mentioned a lot during these focus group discussions. Um, still, there's a, there's, I mean, there are some companies that do whatever they do at the gates to get um, their bags to go up in a mountain. That means it ends up giving porters more weight to carry you know like the exp- i mean the, the the regulation says that they have to carry uh, 20 kilos the company uh, bags 20 kilos on top of the personal personal belongings belongings so if some tricks are done at the gate that means they're going to carry more than 20 that's expected um mm. yeah so that's not good for sure it is not good for sure <laughs> yeah yeah so and so what does yeah. that mean then for what what does um, responsible climbing then mean to the porter community? Do they? I, I'm I'm assuming they appreciate all that you guys are are mm-hmm. doing, but you know what's the feedback and what is it? How does it have a direct impact on the porter community? Maybe I can comment on that uh, just to distinguish, which it might not be so evident. So with our partner for Rest- responsible travel program. Um, all climbing companies are welcome to join our program. And just speaking very honestly, um, only 15% of the climbing companies are actually participating with the partner program. And so the partner, uh, sorry, the porters with our partner companies, they are receiving good conditions. Um, we monitor all of their climbs. Um, we, we do extensive reporting on each of the standards. And so what we're finding is that the porters, with the Partner for Responsible Travel companies, that they are having uh, proper conditions. And we are also seeing over these 17 years that the industry is improving. 
that, mm-hmm. you know, there, there is better food provision, you know, the, the conditions are not as extreme as they were 17 years ago. But we're also seeing, as Kelvin has mentioned, just in these recent focus groups in this last year, that there still are issues. And these are essentially with the companies that are not participating with the Partner for Responsible Travel Program. So when you say, what does responsible climbing mean to the porters? Um, I don't think they really know the term responsible climbing, but what they are saying, you know, what they would say is getting the minimum wage, being having the proper amount of food during the climb, having, you know, appropriate tents and adequate sleeping space. So I think for them, it's just having the basic standards being met is what they um, regard KPAP as an organization that helps to attain this. And it's able to do this by collaborating with the companies that are participating with the Partner for Responsible Travel Program. So over the years, since 2009, we've been collecting data and we've been comparing the partner companies' standards versus the non-partner companies. And as I've said, over these years, we've seen an improvement uh, overall in the industry, but consistently the partner companies have better salary amounts. They all are required to pay the minimum wage, which is not being enforced strictly throughout all the companies. Um, they have three meals per day. They have you know, appropriate tents and sleeping space and so forth. So you're going to see a difference when Kelvin and I are talking. We're talking about um, porters that are with partner companies and porters that are not with partner companies. So the focus groups are essentially with the porters that are not associated with the partner companies. So I hope that helps understand the situation a little bit better. Absolutely. And uh, so I'm, I guess maybe that kind of leads us into why don't you tell us what can tour companies expect from getting involved in the project and in that, in that process? Yeah. So as I mentioned, um, we we invite all climbing companies to participate and we have no cost to participate with the partner program. And so it is our goal to have all companies, you know, collaborate with us. So what we have found is that you know, companies often claim to take, take care of their crew, but often it's up to the guides and the cooks who select the porters for a climb. And the tour company directors may not be well acquainted with their porter crew. They may be, you know, at a distance from them, not know them personally. It's more that the guides and the cooks do. So as a result, the company management may not be aware of the reality of the actual treatment standards on the ground. And what happens is porters are hesitant to complain about any problems with working conditions because they're fearful of suffering some type of repercussion and losing employment. So when a company wants to work with us, we work together. It's a partnership. Um, So we work with them together to implement procedures which safeguard the proper care of the porters. We serve as another set of eyes, providing feedback. Um, We actually put one of our own investigative porters on every single climb of the partner companies that we give them a thorough report on all of the standards. We give them feedback if the standards are being met, 
if they're not, we counsel them how to improve the, uh, the procedures so that they safeguard the proper treatments. And so what we do is we're assisting the company in fulfilling their commitment to socially responsible standards and sustainable tourism. So for the companies, um, we ask them to voluntarily allow us, an independent organization, to examine their climbs to determine if the treatment standards are being met. We monitor every single standard, which is from minimum wages, transparency of tipping, the bag weights at 20 kilograms, the number of meals per day, and proper tent accommodations with ground sheet and adequate sleeping space. And in addition, the partner companies also agree to go above this a bit. They uh, they check the crew's gear prior to the start of the climb to make sure that they have the proper kit to go on the climb. They also register the crew with the company. Rather than having the guide and the cook select the crew, they actually do a formal registration process. And what this eliminates then is any payments of bribes or a thank you for somebody giving them employment because they're actually registered with the company and the company does it on an equal basis in offering the climb assignments to the porters. Also, the partner companies provide medical coverage for any mountain-related injuries or illnesses. And I think a big key of what uh, benefit is from participating with the partner program is it's a requirement to have an annual meeting with KPAP, the director, management, and the porters. And this brings management and the directors close together with the porters so that they can hear directly from them and discuss any issues. So that's essentially how the partner program works. And I'm going to ask Kelvin if you can comment a bit on the scorecard, because we actually have a scorecard for every climbing season. There's two climbing seasons per year. And what I love about the partner program is typically, you know, membership organizations, they have a fee that you pay. But what's different about the partner program is there's no fee involved. And in order to qualify, it's based on your attaining a minimum grade of 85% performance level every season. So Kelvin, how about if you talk just a little bit about how the scorecard works? Yeah. Sorry, before I uh, jump ahead to the scorecard, I want to share a little bit, uh, a bit of a story. I, I mean, I recently was doing an interview for a new company and the director made a really good statement. He said, we were basically offering a, a free management to their clients. Like whenever they're going to climb, these are the things we'll look into. And that's how they also benefit because they'll get um, to know what's happening up there. Yeah, so um, going back to the scorecard. Um, well, scorecard is the tool that we use. It's a system that we use to uh, help the companies monitor their climbs as they go. <clears throat> so it's it's a live tool. Um, they use it. Uh, we, we upload whenever... Um, the climb is going on, we have an investigative portal, as Karen mentioned earlier. So once we collect report uh, from this particular climb, we do feed-in in the system so directors uh, can directly see um, and monitor like how their climbs are being uh, undertaken on the mountain. So again, uh, with the scorecard, it's basically helped them to uh, see where they are at a particular time because at the end of the season, we, we do offer them um, their results. Uh, and, and, and as one of the requirements for the partner program is for them to qualify to get 85% and above. Um, it, it's, it's, um, it's a confidential link that they get. No one, has, no one else has the share uh, to, to, the, to the link. It's only to the directors who are involved with the company. 
Um, yeah, so basically it's a tool that helps them to manage and see what's going on live on, on the client. Yeah. And it sounds like from the anecdote you shared, the little comment, that it actually helps them. If, if, if everything's on the up and up and you're wanting to be uh, you know, a, a good company, this is an actual management tool for you to make your climbs better and, and help make your, um, your climbers, your, your clients happier. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the, the prize with all of this is we serve as another pair of eyes. You know, we're, we scrutinize the climbs, you know, you get a thorough report. We know exactly what they ate every meal. If the quantity if the portion was adequate, we know, you know, how many people are sleeping in a tent. We give that kind of feedback and, as I mentioned beforehand, a lot of times the directors, you know, the management will leave it up to the guides and the cooks to be, you know, in charge of all of this, but they don't really know what's happening on the ground. And so we give thorough reporting back and again, counsel to improve, you know, any procedures if the, if the treatment standards are not being met. So I'm glad that you commented on that because we actually have a challenge that many companies don't quite understand what we do or have a different opinion or a different mindset and can't comprehend this. But um, as Kelvin has mentioned, I'm really glad that this new uh, company that just interviewed this week had made the comment that we serve as an extra management for them, because I think we're even more thorough than any, you know, manager and director will be because our mission is to improve the working conditions. Our reputation is at stake. So we want to make sure that the companies that are approved by us actually do meet the standards. And that's what I think is the real value in the service that we offer through the Partner for Responsible Travel Program. Well, and and like Kelvin said, it's confidential. So it's no different than any internal, you know, quality control. You know, when you call any customer service rep, they said, they say this call may be recorded for quality assurance. It's the same thing. I don't get to hear the person um, listening to my call and deciding how they can be better. But I know that every time I call, mm-hmm. I have a better experience and I tell my friends about it and I want to do more. So in the end, it truly is a good thing. And like you said, it's private. That would, you know, to me, that's the another key selling point is I, I get to better my company um, in private. It's not out there on Yelp or Google for all the world to see, you know, that's it's definitely a plus. Yeah, that's great, Mariah. I just have to laugh because, you know, I've lived in Tanzania for so long that like the things that you're referring to are not a part of my normal life there. So, <laughs> I, you know, it's like, oh yeah, and I'm, I'm hoping Kelvin's understanding what you're saying as well, because we're, we're not quite at that level in Tanzania about quality assurance and customer service and that type of thing. But, you know, I'm glad that you bring that point because it is a challenge for us, particularly in Tanzania, for to have the Tanzanian companies, even the Tanzanian government, to understand what we're doing. So thank you for making those comments. Absolutely. So um, I think the biggest um, uh, thing, you know, would be maybe you could give us some examples of company doing good work. Maybe not, obviously don't name the company, but, um, or any um, you know, examples of companies doing good work with the porters and, and responsible travel or an example of, they decide they signed up, you went on a trek and you noticed this and then you were able to, you know, do this, you know, kind of 
real life example? Well, um, to answer this, let me just uh, think here a second. I think, you know, what we're really based on is objective quantitative measurement is what we're, uh, you know, what we're based on. And that's what the whole scorecard is about. And that's what I love about it because nobody can say, oh, you like this company better or whatever. And that's why you've given them a better score. It's all based on, you know, the number of meals and the quantity and the space and everything and so forth. So I think what I can comment in general is that we're really proud of this is that the average score of our partner company is 96%. And as I mentioned, you know, the 85% performance level is the minimum requirement. So if we look at this, we can really see that the partner companies are all pushing it to higher levels. And so to have an average of 96%, we're proud of that. Yeah, they're, they're doing great. They're doing some really good stuff. And I'll be honest with you, you know, there are a lot of things that happen behind the scenes. You know, as I've said, I've been living in Tanzania since 2002 um, when I first went as a volunteer. So there's just different cultural ways. And, you know, I love it because any of the guides who have gone on to have their own company and then are a part of the partner program, they totally know what we're talking about and all of the challenges that were, you know, presented to, to the porters and, you know, the poor treatment that they were receiving. So, you know, speaking very very honestly, um, the, all of the partner companies need help. And again, because we're providing them feedback on every single climb, they're able to make changes. Um, and so I think in general, um, they're all, once they get used to what we're doing and that the reasons for it, and then also it's an assurance for their trekkers that they're allowing a diff, an independent organization to be monitoring them and evaluating them. So in my opinion, I can say across the board, they're all reaching higher levels. We have some companies, you know, reaching scores of 99%, you know, that's, that's, Wow. Amazing. And what yeah. we like to say is if the company is taking such good care of their porters, don't you think they're going to be taking great care of you while you're on the Absolutely. Mountain? So um, I think that would be the best way to, you know, give an example of, you know, once they're at the company is actually receiving the information and seeing the areas where they could be improving and making it better, that's when they take action and they just keep on pushing it up to higher levels. Yeah. I love it. Literally, they're going up the mountain, there you go. both figuratively and, and in their score. I love yeah, it. Absolutely. That's great. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, how can others get involved? I know when I did my trek, um, you know, we gathered all of the clothes we wouldn't use again, or, you know, just even ones that we knew we could purchase easily again and, and gave it to the porters right there. But um, what are the other ways that people could get involved now if they're listening and they're sitting at home and saying that they'd love to pay it forward a bit? Mm. Well, I, I would say that if someone is contemplating climbing Killy, um, I really would like them to review our website. I think that we're providing reliable information to help people make responsible decisions when they're choosing a tour company. I think that... Um, you know, clients may not be aware of all the costs that are involved in climbing. And so you're going to find a whole range of variable climb cost. And people will assume, well, gosh, I can get a climb cheaper. Let me go with a cheaper climb price then. But then what they don't realize that it, a reduced climb price often comes at the expense of the 
mountain crew, which often means they're getting lower than minimum wages, they're getting inadequate food provision, they might not have, you know, proper gear. Um, And so what we want people to understand that lower climb prices you know, can only happen if it's at the expense of the mountain crew. And so that's a tricky thing. So we want people to be really informed before making a decision to climb. Um, And that we also want people to realize that a climb price is higher with the partner companies because they are paying the minimum wage. They are providing three meals a day. They're making sure that they have the appropriate number of porters for the climb so they're carrying the 20 kilogram weight uh, limitation. And so for people to really become informed and I think this is a little bit hard to explain, and I hope I do an okay job with it. I often get into conversations. I've been on a TripAdvisor forum. I've had you know email correspondence with people, and people will really try to fight against what KPAP is doing and to find fault with what we're doing. And you know what I want to ask people to do is to trust what we're doing. We're on the ground. We're working directly with porters. That's where we're getting our information. And that's what we're reporting on. And we're inviting all companies to join with us. And so we really feel by a a client choosing a partner for responsible travel company for their Kilimanjaro track, they can be assured that the mountain crew is being treated properly and they're playing a role in supporting the industry and changing the industry for the better. And so as far as prospective clients are concerned, do your research well and do give credibility to what KPAP is reporting. Um, I, I have to admit, like we're not capturing all of the companies. I feel that there's probably a handful of companies that might be doing good work that are not partners with us. But otherwise, I can say like our partner companies are setting, you know, the best example and providing the best care. So to make really an informed decision when they're choosing a company. Then we also want to clearly advocate that when you are climbing, we do recommend that you tip directly. That is the best way to ensure sure that the full amount is being, you know, received by the porter, but also with our partner companies, they have different transparent uh, procedures. They can do announcement of the tip amount in English, and then it's translated into Swahili. They can sign a tip form and so forth. So tipping um, directly or doing a transparent procedure is another way to really make sure that your tip is being received in the amount you'd like, because tipping does play a part in the compensation for the climb. And as you mentioned, well, it also makes it uh, interrupt you there. It also makes it for a heartwarming moment. I mean, you've just spent two weeks with these people and they've helped you. They've helped you get up, you know, get up to Mount, get up a mountain. They've been your family. Mm-hmm. And this extra tip money is obviously well earned, but also, I mean, from my perspective, came with love, mm-hmm. you know. And um, I want to, I want to see their face. I want to hug them. I want mm-hmm. to um, make sure that they know that you know they touched my life. And it, you know, I wouldn't want to just go off into some room and then I don't get to be, you know, and then it's transactional. It doesn't mm-hmm. get to have a a lovely, um, loving emotion behind it. 
Yeah. Well, actually, though, there's a few things that are happening on the mountain right now. Um, sadly, they're limiting the amount of money that can go on the mountain. And so now the companies have to come up with ways that they can still tip directly, but not on the mountain. It will have to take place maybe at the hotel or uh, okay. in the office afterwards. So there's some recent changes in this last year and which the Kilimanjaro National Park is not allowing people to take larger amounts of money on the mountain. But we agree uh, with you totally. In fact, you know, we like the partner companies to introduce their crew on day one. And as, as you've said, you know, it's you you form very special ties with this crew that is just supporting you to get to the roof of Africa, you know, during your stay there. And so we also encourage people, you know, to meet with the people directly, to tip them directly, to, to have interactions with them. You know, you're developing a relationship with this special crew that's, you know, helping you maybe achieve a dream of your life. So we agree with that as well. Yeah. I wanted to also see, we can end our call with like the number one thing a traveler should could should consider when traveling to Kilimanjaro, whether that's something fun, little anecdote or, or you know, or um, something you want to say, or, you know, mm. definitely, you know, make sure you do this kind of type mm. thing. Well, again, um, I think for me that it's kind of a different way that I'd like to respond to this. Again, I, you know, I'm American. I am not Tanzanian. And so um, I've served in the Peace Corps. So I want to say that I have a better understanding of, you know, cultural differences and cultural adaptation. Um, and I want to say I've lived in Tanzania for 17 years. So that is, a, a you know, an extended period of time, but I'm still not Tanzanian. But I think the one thing a traveler should really consider when approaching Kilimanjaro is to be aware of the assumptions that they make because they're pretty much making assumptions based on their own country and cultural ways. And Ooh. we want people to realize that, you know, I think people automatically assume that there's a set of standards, but these standards are not necessarily enforced. And also, I think companies make a lot of claims on their website and how they respond in their emails, but that information may not be accurate. It may not be true. So they may say, yes, we're paying $10 a day for the porters, and they're not doing that. In fact, very few companies do. The, the unions agreed that 20,000 T-shillings per day would be the minimum wage, and it's essentially the partner companies that are paying the, that amount. Other companies are typically paying 15,000 T-shillings per day. Um, so people really have to be aware of the assumptions that they're making. And, you know, we want people to realize that KPAP wants all of the companies to be approved partners. We want every, we want all hundreds of the companies that are climbing to be on the partner list because we really want Mount Kilimanjaro to be the premier mountain climbing region and setting the example for other climbing destinations to follow because exploitations of porters is common worldwide. So I, I think you know, I've had some some neat experiences. Um 
in Tanzania to say thank you isn't, you know, a common practice, but I've had some times where porters have made comments to me directly that have just been so touching. So uh, as I mentioned, we meet with the porters every year. I want to share a story, um, actually two stories that have really made a difference in my life for this whole 17 years of, again, not hearing, you know, directly from porters, oh, thank you for what you're doing. But we were at one porter meeting and the porters were just so sweet in it because we meet with the porters before the director and the management comes so that, again, we can review what our climb findings have, you know, what our reports show, and then also hear from them what are any issues that they might be experiencing. And there was one porter who just said right off in the meeting, um, they call me mama. They call everybody who's older a mama. Um, So it's not like they consider me their mama, but that's what they call me. And um, they're like, mama, we are getting so much food now. We are fatter when we come down after the climb. And that was (laughs) so exciting to hear because they were only getting one meal. And, you know, anybody who's climbed Killy, that is a hard trek. And then on top of that, you're carrying 50 pounds, more than 50 pounds of weight. So when he said, we're fatter after the climb now, you know, that just shows me that the partner companies are really, you know, providing good nourishment for the crew. Um, and another really touching story for me, and this just happened just just by coincidence, I was having problems with the internet. It was down. I had to go to a hotel to use their internet. And um, it was late at night and I couldn't take the public transport home. So I had to arrange for uh, the somebody with the hotel to give me transport home after the call. The call finished at 10 o'clock at night because we had a conference call with the U.S. We meet with them on a quarterly basis and have to report to IMEC, our parent organization. So um, the driver that I had arranged, he actually wasn't able to come, but he sent somebody else. And so um, when I'm there at 10 o'clock and I'm being picked up and I'm being driven home, I, you know, I speak Swahili. So I was talking to the driver and so forth. And he's like, he's like, mama, I know you. I work with a partner company. So this is all on Swahili and I'm hoping Mm. my comprehension is good, but I think uh, I do a fair job of it or whatever. And he said, he said, mama, not only has KPAP helped us to have better working conditions. He said, you know, we are getting the minimum salary. We're having good accommodations. We're having good food. He said, but not only that, how KPAP has helped us is we're now respected by the company. We're now oh, as a valuable part of, of the work. And now we meet with the director and he gets to know us personally. And he said, that is an incredible thing that we're now being given respect. And that for me, it's like, okay, I might not get a lot of thank yous, but that's the story. I'm always going to remember how that porter said it. And it made me laugh because here, if I didn't have problems with internet and didn't have to take a taxi home at 10 o'clock at night, I would have never heard this porter express those opinions. Mm, It was meant to be. Oh my gosh, that was crazy. But, um, you know, 
as Kelvin can confirm, like our work is hard. It's challenging. We're over the hardest part of it. You know, it was, it was actually pretty much, we called it a Vita, a war, because mm-hmm. there were so many cultural ways that we had to change as far as payment of salaries and tipping distribution and fair, you know, good food provision. But now we've had that tipping point and now the companies that really understand what we're doing, you know, they're doing good work. So what I can say, you know, for people that want to climb Killy, when you're climbing with an approved partner company, you can be assured of the proper treatment of your crew. And, you know, that's what we want across the industry for Kilimanjaro. So we appreciate this opportunity to get to share about our work and hopefully to have more people understand, you know, what it is that we're attempting to do on behalf of the porters. I love it. Kelvin, do you have anything else you would like to add or share? Well, thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's just like, like people to be considerate of um, like the reality in a, in a place. So, Karen had said a lot about it already. Just um, maybe adding up and just say they're all welcome to Tanzania. People are welcome to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. Uh, it's a really good uh, travel destination. They uh, they will enjoy it. They'll have fun on it. Um, yeah, and they'll learn a lot, a lot of like cultural stuff. With uh, if they get to meet with porters, chat with them, uh, talk to them. I, we know they have a lot of time with guides, but also when they're here. If they can meet with uh, porters, that can be an added advantage on their on their travel. So they will get to learn a lot, yeah, on that. Absolutely. Um, I, it's been a few years since I've been, but I can echo all of that too. I mean, Kilimanjaro was one of the fondest memories of my life so far, and we laughed and we danced, and I just, I mean, I remember my porters by name. I love them. They were so funny, and mm-hmm. you know, taught us some Swahili along the way, which Kelvin and I were trying to remember when I first <laughs> got on the call. Um, my favorite, we still say this around my circles, was what I answered the phone with a jumbo Rafiki, which means hello, friend. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I echo that as well. Um, everyone who's listening, um, the Tanzanian people are completely welcoming. And uh, many people say it feels like they're coming home for the first time when they visit Africa. And Sounds like, Karen, you're getting to live out your dream living in Africa. So I know that you uh, probably echo that as well. Yeah. yeah. So what we say is karibu, which is welcome. And um, and please make sure that you're climbing responsibly and consider KPAP and the work that we're doing and the information that we offer so that you can make a good decision and help contribute to the industry and by showing your support of responsible trekking on Mount Kilimanjaro. Yeah, thanks so much. Thank you for sharing your story. I really appreciate it. And everyone who's listening, we will have um, their website and ways to get involved in the show notes. Thank you again. Remember, it doesn't have to be fun to be fun. Thank you again for joining us on the Type 2 Fun Podcast. We will see you again on the next adventure, but in the meantime, check us out at www.embarkexplorationco.com.